Oh, Emily, where are you? We need your voice. I'm not even going to try to sing because <laughs> when I try to sing, it's just, it's just, it'll get people out of purgatory. That's if right. I, <laughs> if I start singing. Same here. I've only got that like boys to men, like the the deep voice in the back. Oh yeah. They had that one guy with a really deep voice. That's yeah. right. I tried telling Steph that the other day. We heard boys to men. She's like, I don't even know what this is. I was like, oh, this is embarrassing. Do you remember when they made the shift? Like their first album was like it was more like hip hop. Motown Philly. Motown Philly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then they went more like soul, I feel Super like. love song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh it's what I grew up on. But I could only ever be that deep voice. So it's not exactly the Gregorian chant intro that we're looking for. I I don't know what my voice is. It's weak, it's high, it's just kind of strange. I don't know. It's it's beautifully like manly feminine. A woman. It's a woman. It's a woman. Amen. And if you didn't hear about this this week, there's a member, I think it was in the House of Representatives, who's an ordained, uh, I think, um, Methodist minister. And he finished his prayer and he said, amen and a woman, which is just absurd. Too much. It's just absurd. How do I... Maybe that that eventually should be a podcast too. I saw that come out. I was like, oh boy, I don't even know how to... What do I do with that? Well, it's just one of those things where it's like... It's just imposing on religion, whatever's popular in the current right. moment. Yeah, he woke up. He's like, "That's gonna be cute. This is really gonna land. This is gonna with be all my people." Yeah, it's too much. Too much. If you don't know, "Amen" is a Hebrew word. It means "so be it." Uh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, why do we? <laughs> why do we end mass with "Thanks be to God"? Mass know, is over. It, go out. Ah, thanks. thanks Thank God. To, I know. That's the old joke, right? The mass has ended. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Yeah. It's been too long. Get me out of here. Thanks be to God. Yeah. That's a, I, I have no, no comment. I have nothing to say <laughs> on that. I have nothing to say. We're on a good one today. This is perfect. So today, hope you're all having a great new year. Today, our topic, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the next, what happens when you die kind of things, last things. Um, and so we want to talk a little bit about purgatory today. Uh, do we want to talk about other stuff too? Uh, I think it will naturally lead to a few other side topics, even the intro. I think, um, this whole concept, you kind of blew my mind about a week ago when we were kind of talking about it, um, as a refresher, when my mom passed away again, 2015 unexpectedly, um, I was not practicing whatsoever yeah. and had um, kind of what I call the celebration of life and had her mm-hmm. cremated, spread the ashes, all this kind of stuff. And as I've learned more about this concept of purgatory and having mass said for her, it's kind of, it's been interesting to try to reflect on of like, one, where is she? Two, as I start to navigate my life um, in a Christian manner, there's this like, and we've kind of talked about in previous podcasts. So of like not living to, or, you know, living to die and, and try to live to forever scenario. Right. What does heaven and purgatory look like? And I, I guess from a broad stroke, when I first came in, I kind of pictured like if mom's traveling through this journey of purgatory, it is just the worst experience of all time. And you're just like praying for every day to hopefully make it. And it's, I, you know, it, it, I don't, it was just super interesting to kind of run that by you and you dropped some knowledge on me that totally switched how I looked at that journey of purgatory. Yeah. Purgatory is a, <clears throat> it's always weird to say it. it's like a grace, which sounds so weird. It sounds weird to say that it does, but it is. Um, so purgatory, right? Is a uniquely Catholic idea. And it's, if you're coming, if you're out there and you're not a Catholic, Protestant Christians do not believe in purgatory and they there's there's a couple reasons for this and I don't want to go too deep into it but one of them is like the word purgatory is not mentioned in the Bible Uh, but neither is the word trinity so if you're a Christian kind of almost all you know anyone out there professing to be a Christian basically all of them would say belief in the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you can't be a Christian if you don't believe that. Right. And the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, but the concept does. And the persons of the Trinity appear in the Bible. 
So for instance, the most obvious place, do you know, where, where's the most obvious place the Trinity shows up? Cool. Don't you love it when I do this to you? Yeah, I, I really just I am a jerk. Do not I really, I really, I really am a jerk. Um, well, when's a place you see the Holy Spirit, for instance, in the New Testament? There's a lot of places, but... Give me something here. I'm struggling. I'm... What is Jesus? What happens to Jesus before he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan? Oh, caller number one. I'm You're on the crushed re- right now. Yeah, <laughs> Regis, phone a friend. I don't know. <laughs> so the so the most obvious place you see the Trinity in the Bible is at Jesus's baptism. Dang it! Right. So you, I know, it, it's hard. You know, it's. I've but been, I was thinking. I mean, obviously, his father speaks, and I guess I wasn't necessarily thinking that was like declared the Trinity yet, but yeah. obviously he said, this is my son who, with whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And he talks about that both at the baptism and then in the transfiguration in got it. chapter nine. Uh, but yeah, it's, so you've got the baptism of Christ. You have Jesus is obviously there being baptized. The father speaks and the Holy spirit falls on him from heaven. Got it. Um, and there's other places we could talk about in Luke chapter one, when Gabriel uh, comes to Mary the, the concept of the Trinity is there in Gabriel's appearance to Mary. But but anyway, so the concept is there, but the word's not. You never find the word Trinity in Scripture. It doesn't exist. Right. And it took the church a long time to kind of work out what the Bible says about this and to reflect and pray and to allow God to guide us into the mature teaching of the church on the Trinity. That took centuries, but it was there from the beginning. It's kind of like in your own life when there's things you look back and you're like, I never could have said this at the time, but this is what happened. And then later on in life, you look back and you're like, Oh, that's, ex- this is the way I can understand what happened to me previously. Totally. Um, so anyways, a purgatory is like that. And let's, let's just lay the groundwork here and then we can kind of talk about questions. People might have objections, um, fears. Am I going to be stuck in purgatory with like FB preaching for, <laughs> 5,000 years, you know? So the big, the big thing, the biggest concept you have to get, if you're going to understand purgatory is that, um, God cannot coexist with sin. God and sin do not go together. And this is this concept. If you understand that you're going to, you're going to get purgatory. But God doesn't dwell with sin. And this is this concept is all over the Bible. So what happens when Adam and Eve sin against God, what happens to them? They can then see. And they can see, and then what happens to them after that? They're uh, banished. Yeah, they're, yeah. T- they're banished out of the garden. And the garden yeah. is the place where God dwells. So after, after the original sin in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have to be driven out of the garden. Um. In Exodus chapter 19, when the Jews are, and there's hundreds of examples of this. Like Exodus 3, when Moses approaches the burning bush, the voice says, you know, God says to him, he says, take off your shoes for the place you are coming is holy ground. Um, And in Exodus 19, when the Jews arrive at Mount Sinai, they, they cannot touch the mountain or go near Mount Sinai. They have to be purified first. Uh, and so they, they have to undergo a period of purification before they can go to the mountain in Exodus 19. Interesting. Yeah. Um, a classic one, a classic text for this is Psalm 24. And I won't read too many of these things to you, but just, just to kind of lay the groundwork a little bit. Um, Psalm 24. Uh, who shall, this is verse three, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and who does not swear deceitfully. Um, there's all kinds of texts like this, but, but basically Psalm 24 is saying, like, if you want to be in God's presence, you have to be holy. You have to be purified. Um, this is just all over scripture. Isaiah 6 is probably my favorite place. So in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah talks about how he is a man of unclean lips. He has a vision of God. He's taken up into God's heavenly throne room. And Isaiah, and let's just look at that really quick. Uh, In Isaiah 6, Isaiah goes into this throne room and he says, 
Verse 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah's kind of freaked out. He's like, he knows he can't be in God's presence and be unclean. And be, and which is in the Jewish thing, it's not the same thing as sinful, but it's related. And, and so Isaiah knows he can't be in God's presence unless he's purified. And so in verse 6, then flew one of the seraphim to me. You know, seraphim, you probably don't. I'm going to stop asking hard questions. That's, maybe that's my New Year's resolution. It's the blue angels. Uh, Is it not? They, uh, no, those are probably, in your painting, those are the red ones, I think. Oh, dang uh, it. Cherubim, seraphim? Cherubim and seraphim. Yeah. So I don't know what cherubim means, but seraphim, they're, they're both in the Bible. Seraphim is a Hebrew word, and it means the burning ones. That's okay. And what it is is we're told God is an all-consuming fire. So in, in Exodus, when God appears in Exodus 3 in the burning bush, there's fire. In Exodus uh, 19, he descends on Mount Sinai in fire. At Pentecost, uh, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, like, it's chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit descends in fire. Right? Like God and uh, in Hebrews, we're told that God is an all-consuming fire. Mm-hmm. So there's so, so the seraphim, they're on fire with God's presence. They're so close to him that they are on fire. But anyway, so this is this is the old Tim Gray joke. He used to say, and so the seraphim, one flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And so Tim Gray would always say, that is one hot coal. <laughs> like Bible Bible nerd, you know, that is one hot coal. If the burning seraphim had to get a tongs to touch totally that coal. Don't. But anyway, what happens, I won't read the rest of it, but what happens is Isaiah is, the, the seraphim takes that coal and it touches Isaiah's lips. And he, he is then purified where he can be in God's presence. Uh, the prophet Zechariah has a very similar thing where he has these dirty clothes that are symbolic of his sins. And to be in God's presence in his vision, his clothes have to be changed. Um, so this is just all over scripture. So to cut to the chase on this, the basic concept is that like, if you want to be in God's presence, which that's what heaven is, heaven is God's presence, you have to be purified. C.S. Lewis says this, by the way, and this is maybe an easy way to understand this. C.S. Lewis says, if you went to a party and everyone was in like black tie and it was formal and everyone's beautiful and they look great and you showed up in, you know, a wife beater and like board shorts, you would be embarrassed. You would be like, uh, I think I got, didn't get the memo on this one. Yeah. Um, I gotta go. I think I, you know, I just remembered I'm supposed to babysit tonight, you know? Whatever it is. But he says, if, if that happened to you, and again, C.S. Lewis is not a Catholic. C.S. Lewis says, and he believed in purgatory. He said, our reason and our hearts demand purgatory. But he says, uh, wouldn't you just say in that party, I'm gonna, I got to go change. And, if, and he says, well, if the host said to you, hey, don't worry, no one cares. We'll be, we're merciful here. It's okay if you're in a wife beater and we don't care. You would still say, you'd be like, you know, all the same, I'd rather just, be like everybody else totally and and if the host said you know it might hurt a little bit you'd be like okay that's all right and heaven is not just about like god forgetting that you committed sins heaven is about you being perfect is it fair though to ask we i was born into this world full of these temptations and kind of feel like a pawn in this battle between you love this question i do yeah because it i find it relatively unfair like right. i have these struggles <laughs> yeah totally uh and temptations and all this kind of stuff that eventually will be where we'll get to with the journey of purgatory but um you know i didn't add, like why is it that i'm born into this life where i'm i understand the f- power of choice and free will and all that kind of stuff but help me just like wrap my head around that because ultimately what's going to determine if I'm clean or perfect or any of that kind of stuff is this battle that started a very long time ago between right. a fallen angel and God. Yeah. And, and that's true. There, there is a truth to that. And I, you know, like we've, I think we've said it before. I'm like, 
if God allowed it, the first thing you want to do when you get to heaven is like deck Adam. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, dude, that's like the, that's really, like, man, that's, that's like the last thing you do in purgatory before you enter into heaven is like Adam's like tied up there and you get to like beat him up and then you like cross over into heaven. It was like, uh, at CU, we used to have, uh, when I had coach Cabral as our like mentor coach, um, they'd partner you with like a group of guys. And if anyone was like, didn't show up to class or was late or any of that kind of stuff oh, yeah. to a meeting or just messed up in any way you had to, Cabral would have us show up, um, and run sprints at 5.30 in the morning up the giant hill outside the stadium. And, I know that hill. Yeah, and it, yeah <laughs> heading from the dirt lot up. And it was kind of like that, that feeling you have with Adam. It's like you show up and you just want to punch his kid because you're like, really? Yeah. Like you couldn't show up on class? We're all here now because of you. Appreciate totally. it. Thanks for nothing. Totally. Yeah, Adam. Yeah, the uh, huh. it's it's a great question. It's a hard question to answer, honestly. But it's but I will say, so what, the, what Christians believe is that every one of us though has sufficient grace. And there's something even more glorious that Christ in 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 the brokenness that we didn't choose that we were born into. And that's what original sin is by the way. If you if you've you know you ever wonder like how can we say babies have sin? Original sin doesn't mean a baby committed a sin. Original sin means that they were born into a world that is broken. Got it. And 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 not just the world but they themselves, right? So like when human beings, we've never met a human being is like, you know, maybe this one will be perfect. You know, maybe, maybe this one will never be tempted by sin. Maybe this one will never be greedy or angry or lustful or whatever. We're born into a world where our human nature has been damaged. That's what original sin is. And so you're right. Like that's hard, but there's something about like Christ invites us into this amazing drama and because of freedom and this is probably deeper topic but i always think of like like on a football team there's something about getting invited into the, like the messiness of the game yeah that makes a victory all that more sweet rather than just sitting on the sideline totally and there, there's something like that i think that yeah we didn't choose the world to be messed up and ourselves and our hearts to be messed up but we still do have freedom by the way and this is a big theme of romans when in Romans five, when Paul talks about original sin, he'll say, "Yeah, we were all we all inherited Adam's sin," but he says, "But we also chose it." Interesting. And okay. we all, our freedom's still sufficient. That like, yeah, like I wish I wasn't tempted towards lust or gluttony or whatever avarice, love of money. But I still have sufficient freedom, even yep. though it's hard. I still have sufficient freedom that I can, I can choose what's right. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I don't even know where, where are we at? Right well, now? no. I, so, okay. So now we've established the fact that, like, okay, we were born in this world. Now we just, we can accept that. And so, it's, it's up to us to have that free choice. Now, what is your thought and ultimately leading to this purgatory thing, but while you're here on earth, if it is gluttony, lust, any of that kind of stuff that people, the seven deadly sins that people struggle yeah. with consistently and it's over and over again. And, I, there's no chance you saw this, but Stefanik, <laughs> our our guy Stefanik, posted this thing on Instagram today. Where he sent me and he gave us a nice voicemail. He called me and was like, "Love the podcast." I think he's behind oh, he's a little best. bit because he was like, "Yeah, uh, you're in one ear and Patrick's in the other," and I'm like, <laughs> "Dude, story of my life." Right now. Catch up, come on, <laughs> yeah. come on, Chris. But he posted this thing where he's he was out on a bike ride and his dog keeps biting his tire when he like rides up next to the, his dog Ooh. and in this in this video his dog was chewing on a stick and he was talking about how like when you're trying to avoid sin or temptation that is he was like admiring his dog for finding the the piece of wood to chew on instead of his tire and he was saying how that's like a way of like overcoming sin mm. is trying to find like something that. else to replace it with yeah totally um and it was brilliant again we love chris but um what's your advice like when you are starting to kind of journey through life, especially being confirmed where you and I've joked about this, but as of two years ago, 99% of the things I look at now were not sins in my life. Like it, I was just another day. It was one terrible hangover or it was one like, but the party was great. Like yeah. none of that was an issue. So then to try to go cold Turkey on anything is really tough. And, and in some form you're like, okay, well, and we'll get there. But like, hopefully purgatory really just solves this for me. But instead of like, 
one priest hopping to different confessionals because you're still messing up on the same thing and or two just trying to like deny it altogether like what is the advice on trying to really better yourself on these temptations I mean, I, th- I think, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of discipline is necessary. And St. Paul will talk about this. Like, a certain amount of discipline is good and necessary. But, all, but really, at the end of the day, Christianity is about love. And I tell people this all the time that I'm never really a better man when I'm like, you know, I really probably should drive the speed limit. <laughs> you know? I'm yeah. like, 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 who obeys speed limit laws the most? I don't, I don't, I've never seen a study on this. But I bet you the ones who do are people with kids. That's probably fair. Yeah. That's my guess. And the reason is because, and this is my own read on it, but the reason is because you like, if you're, if, if you're just a normal driver, you're like, yeah, I should probably drive more safely. I should not be texting on my phone, which I don't text when I drive. Um, maybe at stoplights. Yeah. That's about it. But when you're driving, uh, I think people with kids, the reason they follow the speed limit is not because they know they should. It's because they have kids and they love something so much they're willing to be disciplined because they love something, oh. right? Yeah, it's hard to argue. Okay, That's the Christian life. The yep. Christian life is not about like, you know, stop sinning. It is about that, but it, but it, it stops sinning because there's something that I love so much and I have been loved first so much by God. It's like I used to say when I was a focused missionary, you'd have these guys who are just total slobs. Yeah. Right. And like, they know they should clean their dorm room or whatever their apartment, their bathrooms are always disgusting. You know, my college roommates one time, this is, here's a crazy story. We had a buff shower curtain. That yes. was Yeah. But it was disgusting. It was like, it had the buffs emblem on there, the, the CU Buffalo. And it was just, but it hadn't been cleaned in like, milk. it was, yeah, it was just gross. Yeah. yeah. So they were going to, th- I graduated and moved on to other things. And my three of my old roommates were still living in that apartment. And I came back to visit them and they had cut the buff out of the shower curtain and they, and they thumbtacked it to the wall. <laughs> I was like, this is yes. disgusting. CU's finest. Yeah. But my point is, is that the way you overcome sin is to love. And so when I was working with college kids, they had these disgusting bathrooms, but the minute they got a girlfriend, they, oh, they, they're yeah. part they were like, man, I'm like, dude, you like floss your teeth. Like, wow, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm like, your bathroom is like, it's still not really clean, but it's way better. Totally. And yeah. you do that. So when you love something and that's, and so this leads us to purgatory, I think, cause like yeah. what purgatory, I think one of the problems people have, so you have, to, you have to be purified to be in God's presence. And that's the biblical concept. If you really want to get to this, like, this is why the temple you have to be, you have to be cleansed to enter the temple, right? The the Jews actually used to tie a rope around the high priest's ankle when he went into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur in case he died because of his sin. And because if you go in God's presence and you're sinful, you might die. So they would tie a rope around their ankle so they could pull him out of the Holy of Holies if they died. Whoa. Like this is, this is real. And like this is in the book of Revelation. It's in James. It's in Luke chapter five when Peter... Uh, when Jesus calls Peter in Luke five, uh, Peter's in the boat with Jesus and they make the miraculous catch of fish. And Peter probably at this point, he, he's not there yet where he doesn't, he doesn't know who the Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, but he turns to Jesus and he says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. And so, so to be in God's presence, you have to become Holy. You have to be holy to be in God's presence. So that's what purgatory is about. And, and here's, this leads, I think, the way that the Christian life, that love and purgatory go together is, and Dante is going to help us out here. So we're going to talk a little bit today about Dante's divine comedy. Dante's divine comedy is not Catholic dogma, but it is a Catholic imagination and someone who is one of the most brilliant minds in all of history and, uh, when Dante wrote the Divine Comedy, right, he writes uh, the Inferno, which is hell, the Purgatorio, which is purgatory, and the Paradisium, which is paradise or heaven. And and this is a really cool thing. So so one neat thing is that Dante starts at the beginning of the Inferno, and there's a mountain in front of him, and he wants to climb it, 
but there's these animals that he can't get past. And this, the whole thing, Dante's Divine Comedy, is an allegory for the Christian life. But so he gets turned away. And he and so what, what he's saying there, there's a mountain he wants to climb, but there's these beasts chasing him away. And what he's saying there is that the Christian life is an uphill struggle, which goes back to your question. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's easier. It's easier to just do what you want to do. You know, I just want to drink. I just want to party. I just want to live a life of comfort and pleasure. That's easier. The Christian has been called to a harder road, but a better road. And so Dante is trying to go uphill. And the beasts turn him away, which are kind of an image of like our sins and our passions, our, my desire for sex and pleasure and alcohol and greed and pride and all these things. So let's pause there. Is that, that That's the Christian life. And what, what, what happens is Dante takes a different route then. Totally. Who what's the stance on who ends up who goes to hell and do we do you die and start in hell and start this ascent up the mountain or is there a a different stance on that so dante in his book does but that's not catholic teaching so because what does c.s lewis says something about that right lewis says oh yeah so you tell me like the great divorce yeah lewis so lewis was very even though he never became catholic he he is more catholic than most catholics so, but he has an allegory about um, in the, the Great Divorce, which I highly recommend. That is a book everyone can read. It's a hundred pages, most editions, um, and it's it's a bus ride from hell to heaven. And he doesn't mean this to be serious theologically. He's trying to make one point. And what happens in that book is that those in hell they get to take a bus ride and they can stay in heaven if they want. But his point in that book is that, and this is, yeah, this is an important question you were bringing up the other day, is that those who go from hell to heaven, they don't want to stay in heaven because they have conditioned themselves to hate what is good. And so they can't, they can't endure heaven. Heaven would be more painful for them. And this is where we get to the point where like a lot of Christians, and I think this is true, I think this is how I would articulate it, at least in a certain sense, is that hell is actually a mercy of God, oh. which sounds insane. Yeah, but but Lewis articulated this well. Is that think of it this way? Like, um, certain people in life, like the way the way Lewis says it in the Great Divorce, is he says certain people can't handle other human beings, and if you've trained yourself right, like like think of someone with, who has anger issues, yep. right? Some people are preconditioned that way. That's just one of the faults they have. But if they give into it over and over and over and over again, they become an angry person. Yep. And just like, just like it works both ways. Like, if you if you had a, um, I don't know, you get drunk one night. Like, okay, well, pick yourself up, go to the confession, try not to do it again. If you do it over and over and over and over again, you start to become a the type of person as a character that's given over towards drunkenness. Totally. Right? So we can condition ourselves. There's a, And so what the Catholic idea is, is that hell is not like God's tallying your sins. And he's like, oh, you had 643 and the cutoff is 642. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. so, sorry, dude. Like door, door to the left, you know? Yep. Um, that's not it. The, the thing is, is that have you made yourself into the type of person who wants to be in heaven, who loves God, who loves others? And in, in uh, Lewis's book, those in hell, they can't, they hate other people. And so every time a person in hell meets another person in hell, within about 10 minutes, they can't stand each other and they move further away because hell is about isolation. Oh, that's crazy. And heaven is about communion. And so you can't, to be in heaven, those kinds of souls, when you're around people constantly, they've conditioned themselves into becoming the type of person who can't stand other people. And if you can't stand other people, how can you be in heaven? Right. Right? Oh, it's interesting. Okay. So, so then, yeah, and I think, what, so what, what, what the Catholic Church teaches, like, this would never be real. Like, you can't, like, go to hell and make your way to purgatory. Anyone who goes to purgatory, if you die, which I, I like to think that that's the vast majority of people. I don't know. I'm not God. Only God knows. 
hell, the church teaches hell is real. Um, and it's something we all have to take seriously, which by the way, all of you Balthazar haters out there, uh, Balthazar says that he, and if you, I have lots of people who read dare we hope, which is not his best book. I don't like that book. And I disagree with a lot of stuff in there, but even in that book, and if you don't know this, this is a book that's really controversial about, can we hope that all people be saved? And probably shouldn't have even gone there on this, but he says in that book, like every one of us has to live as if hell is a real possibility for us. Cause it could be right. And he says that very explicitly, but, but anyway, if you die, if you went to hell, that's it. There's no, there is no repentance in hell. And those who are in purgatory, if you die and you went to purgatory, everyone who's in purgatory knows that they are going to heaven. There are, but it, they're in a process of being purified. Mm. And I'm talking too much, but let me just say one last thing and then I'll throw it back to you. The, um, Dante, when he did that mountain, he starts to climb at the beginning of the inferno. It is Mount Purgatory. It's the same mountain. And what Dante is showing us is that going to heaven is learning to overcome your sins and your faults. And more importantly, it's learning how to love. And if you don't learn how to love in this life, if you can't climb that mountain to love others, you got to deny yourself. Right, if I'm really going to love, you know, if you're married, if you really want to love your spouse, you have to actually deny yourself and say, you know what, I'm going to get off the couch and I'm going to do dishes because I want to love my spouse. You have to deny yourself. And purgatory, if you don't make that progress in this life and learning how to love God and love others, in purgatory, you will be purified by God to become that person. It's oh, powerful. What about when I grew up or growing up as a kid, all I ever heard was that um, if you commit suicide, you go straight to hell. Yeah, yeah. That's a really important topic. Um, so the church has really nuanced her teaching on this. And some people would say they've, we've changed our teaching on this, which that, that is true. Um, but I think, I think it's important to understand the principles. The principle is this, is that the moment you die is a really important moment, right? Like the moment you die, you're about to be. And the reason for this is that living in life is a time of change. When I'm alive, I live in time here on, in this world yep. and time is, a, is, is change. So I can, so there's always hope, always hope. And up until the last breath I ever take in this world, I can repent yep. and I can, and that's like the good thief right on the cross can turn to Christ and say, you know, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Totally. You can do that. And so, but when you step, when, when you step into death, you're stepping in a sense into eternity. And this is why like purgatory, you're not choosing to grow in holiness. God is purifying you. And you have to be pure to enter into heaven. Now, and there's so many things we could talk about with that, but I want to stick to your question though. So a suicide though. So the reason the church was traditionally very strong on suicide and very negative and like basically said people just go to hell is because they're like the last decision you ever made while you could make a decision was to murder yourself. Totally. And that's a very serious sin. And if that's the last thing you ever did now, the reason today that we think about this very differently is for good reason is because we understand to make a, a real choice in life. You have to have freedom. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know about modern psychology and neuroscience in the Middle Ages. And so now we understand that people, and if you're out there, if you have a family member or someone you love who has committed suicide, of course, that's a horrible thing. It's tragic. But there's hope for them. Right. There is absolutely hope for them because freedom is about, or choices are about freedom. And and what we know is that people who commit suicide almost Always. And I, I mean, I'm not a psychologist or a neuroscientist, but I have a hard time believing anyone could really choose suicide in the full, in a full, mature, full sense. If someone's really thinking about suicide, that's a very broken person and something totally. they're hurting. There's a lot going on in that scenario. Yeah. And there's probably like some real psychological things. Yeah. And so we have basically, we, we place that in God's hands and we say, we didn't know this before. If you made, if I mean, if the last thing you ever did was choose to do something really, really evil, I do not want to go before God 
and have the you know like you think of like Hitler totally you know and that's right. that's probably when this like you know I'm not God but I don't have a lot of hope for Hitler right and the last thing you do you know you just exterminated or attempted to exterminate all the Jews and then the last thing you do is commit suicide I'm like man now that might have been a free choice I don't know right does that make sense though if it is purgatory it's a big hill yeah he's that's, that's, that's straight vertical yeah he's I don't, going 90 degrees yeah exactly Exactly. Wow. Okay. So then you had mentioned this the other day and it, and it really kind of shifted my mind of just thinking, you know, you're envisioning this hill with Dante. Um, but you said something so interesting that was along the lines of looking at purgatory as something so beautiful because you're no longer, you're free of those temptations. Like you're achieving that and, and free of that struggle, which as opposed to being like, ugh, so I don't even like hiking. Like, I don't want to right. go up this hill. All these kind of things of like this daily struggle where I think like literally you think about any of the seven deadly sins or any of that kind of stuff of like this constant tug of war of like, don't do it, do it, don't do it, do it, yeah. don't do it. And then finally, when you said that, it was like, no, you you actually go to purgatory to be free of it. Yeah, you become a free person. Right? It's like, so fascinating. Isn't that yeah. beautiful? I yeah. love that. Like someone who's... If someone imagine like someone who's really struggles with anger issues. Yeah. Imagine like if you could go through a period of purification and where you were no longer, you, you were just, were not, you were no longer an angry person. Totally. You were free of your anger. That's what purgatory is about. I think it, it blows my mind when you think of it too, of like whether or not, you know, I wouldn't say I struggle with anger necessarily, but it's one of those things where I'm like, well, I don't struggle with that. Yeah. How cool would it be the things I do struggle to say, oh yeah, I don't struggle. Like that's not even a it's not even my realm of possibilities right now. Yeah. One well, Dante, and this is so cool, you guys that are out there, it's just what what happens is that as you climb Mount Purgatory, and again, this is an allegory. Catholics don't believe purgatory is literally a mountain. We don't believe that, but it's an allegory. And Dante, what happens is you uh, I'm gonna cut it a little short here, but when you get to Peter's Gate you um you make a confession of your sins and there's seven p's that are put on your head and that's because the latin word for sin is peccata and so they put seven p's on your head for the seven deadly sins and from that point forward what happens is you on there's there's these seven levels of purgatory and on each level you are purified of one of the seven deadly sins and so, and that doesn't just mean like, wow, like, does God forgive me? Yes, he forgives you. But like, if, if I like, what would be a good example? If I'm like, if I tell you, if I'm like, Patrick, I'm so sorry. I'm like, so moody. I'm such a temperamental guy and you forgive me. That's great. But am I still moody? Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> yeah, moving on. But what happens there, right? So, so it's not just that I'm forgiven; it's that I'm healed. Yeah. And so, so what happens is every level, like you, you are purified. And there's so many cool things in there, like the souls in Dante's conception of this souls in purgatory. They can only make progress while the sun is hitting them, which is an image of grace. So only God's grace can purify you. And that's the only way they can make any progress up the mountain. And it's super beautiful. But when you finish, when, you, when you've overcome that sin on a level and God has purified you of that sin, of that flaw within your nature, the one of the P's is erased from your forehead and you move up a level. And this is and what's so cool about this is like, this is what heaven, heaven is not about. Like it's not an extrinsic reward. Mm-hmm. It's not like, hey man, you you were good in school today. Here's a bowl of ice cream. Right. Heaven is you have become everything God ever intended you to be. You are a being who is no longer has a selfish love. You're a being who's no longer envious of others. You are someone who doesn't right? envious sorrow at another's good. So like when someone else has something good happen to them, you're no longer a person who's like, oh, I can't believe that person got that. Totally. But you, you rejoice in the good and you become the type of person who is purified and capable of loving fully in heaven. And that was Lewis's point in The Great Divorce. It's the same point he's making, is that to be in heaven, you have to be a certain kind of person. You have to be the kind of person who is not prideful, right? Yep. 
you, you have to be humble. You have to be someone who is not, um, I'm just looking at Dante's levels, right? Someone who's not envious or jealous or proud or gluttonous, right? It almost makes it like it's this perfect communion in heaven is almost hard. Like I can totally envision Dante's mountain. Yeah. You know, but this perfect reality of heaven where there is no drama, there is no gossip, there is no lust. Yeah. Like I almost, I'm like, what do you do? Yeah. (laughs) Sit around and kumbaya. Like, I don't like, it's almost like, it's just so crazy. It's so fascinating, but it, it is one of those like, and I also kind of look at it hearing you describe purgatory that way. And again, you want to be in a place and correct me if I'm wrong, but fearing this concept of hell yeah. and, and the, yeah, absolutely. And, and that judgment day, but also knowing like, cause sometimes I feel like if you focus too much on your failures, um, you beat yourself up and instead of improving, right. it only gets worse. You right. know, like that snowball starts to build into something where you're just consistently beating yourself up. And during the eating disorder, it was always that kind of lifestyle of like, I'm going to be better today. And then you, you fault and then it puts you in further. You eat more because you're now you, you're like, why well, already went off the deep end now? Yeah. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. So this concept of purgatory where you can just say like, okay, look, I know I'm not perfect. I'm going to strive. ideally strive every day to try to perfect these things and master them. But also knowing that like, look, when you fall, it's, it's not, it's life's a marathon, not a sprint. And it's when you fall, don't beat yourself up. Like there is hope and purgatory is that place to really cleanse yourself of that, which gives me ultimate peace for my mom. Like my mom fell away from the faith. You know, there's a lot of things where I could sit back and if I'm just looking at it black and white, there's a lot where, you know, her confessional is with getting those seven P's be pretty long. Like my right. m- mom would admit it. Like there's no right, doubt about totally. it. She has a lot to talk about. Right. But at least I know and it gives me that hope of like, okay, like I'm gonna keep praying daily masses and all totally. that kind of stuff, but there is a chance. And it's so hopeful. Right. It's such a helpful thing because none of us is perfect. And that's why, you know, priests have this pet peeve about when you go to a funeral and people canonize their the person just died. Mm-hmm. And like when we die, I want people to pray for me. I'm not perfect. I'm kind of a jerk. I'm pretty moody. Um, I'm trying to work on that. That's a long, that's a big uphill one for me. Um, But I want people to pray for me and I want to become the man that God created me to become. Totally. And heaven has to be that way. Heaven has to be about the, the healing and the perfecting of who I am. And happiness is about this, right? Like this, this is part of the problem of the modern world the world tells us that happiness is about what you have and what you get to do. But the the Christian says happiness isn't about those things. Happiness is about who you are. It's ultimately about love. And I, and to your point, like some people like they think of purgatory, they're scared of it. Yeah. And, and they're scared of hell. And like, there's a certain, there's a certain thing where it's like, there are certain things that are worth being scared of. Mm-hmm. Hell is like we shouldn't think about it. It's not the dominant note in the Christian life by any means, but hell's a bad thing. Yeah. And, and Jesus warns us very clearly about hell in the new Testament. And if nothing else, like he loves us enough to say, don't touch the stove. Right. Right. Like don't do it. And, and it's way worse than that. Right. But, but to your point, Christianity though, what really changes us is love. Yeah. And the gospel is good news. And all of you out there, you are loved. And what should change you is not the fear of hell. It's the love of heaven. Gosh, that's where you crushed me the other day. That was exactly what you said where I, where in this, just being kind of a visual person, I kind of, I picture every sin that I commit yeah. and that ultimately leads me to be like, Oh, I got to go to confession is I'm digging a deeper hole. Right. And I had said that too. And you were like, well, which that in part may be true, like stop doing that. You are, it's going to be tougher, but it's not about like you're digging a deeper hole. That's becoming more and more painful. It's getting to purgatory is going to ultimately free you of that. So yeah, it it is this journey of like not trying to obsess on the day in and day out failure, but knowing that like there is a reality that you can be free and, 
to when you are making those choices, like it's not even an issue anymore. Yeah. And amen. And like, and I, there's always and like woman. this, <laughs> don't, don't even, don't even Had do to. it. Man. It was a layup. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Wow. Sorry. The, uh, there's a fine line on this too, because, um, like, like for Protestant Christians, you know, no, that's right. th- there can be, there can be a sense sometimes of like, it doesn't really matter what you do because you're forgiven. That's right. And welcome home. And Catholics want to say, you know, it's, it's like a both end. Like God's mercy is real and it is beyond. And none of us can earn it. That's always important to say. We cannot earn God's mercy. God's mercy is the, is the starting point. Um, and modern scripture scholarship has, when you talk to real serious Protestant scripture scholars now and you read their books, they get this now. That I don't think the average pastor does, and not to be hard on them, but Luther caricatured Judaism and Catholicism as works righteousness religion, where you have to earn God's love. Mm. And E.P. Sanders, who's nerding out a little bit here, but he was a big scripture scholar at Duke, and he really was one who lifted the veil and said, Luther just completely caricatures Jewish religion here. Judaism was never works righteousness. Like you don't earn God's love. You're loved first. God's mercy always comes first. And that's what I want to get to his love for you. He loved you in your darkest moment. Romans five, eight, God shows forth his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't die for you because you decided to change. He died for you because he loved you. And then that's what should lead us to change. And in Judaism is the same way you were, you were brought into the family of God, which is called the covenant. But once you're in the covenant, then you're expected to live a certain way. Totally. And this is this is where Catholics get right. And sometimes they don't. Right? Like there are a lot of Catholics out there. If you're a Catholic and you kind of are, you know, have this mindset of I have to live rightly for God to love me, you've got it backwards. God loves you first and that's what should lead you to live rightly. Yep. And uh but the Catholic idea is the same as the Jewish is that you are loved first by God. You were saved. God saves the Jews out of Egypt in Exodus 12 is the Passover. Exodus 14 is the Red Sea. The law comes in Exodus 20, right? And the same thing when you, when you and Steph have kids, right? It's like all parents, they love their kids before they've even met them. The moment they find out they're pregnant, their life has changed and they love their children. But then once that's happened, because you love your kids, you're like, hey, I love you so much. Here's a law because happiness and a good life is about becoming the right kind of person. Right. It's crazy stuff. Gosh, it's so fascinating. It's so, yeah, life is tough, but it, this just, I don't know. It is just something that like, especially being new into the faith and trying to wrap my head around all that at once at an older age. It is. This is just, lack of a better word, just hope. But your sports help you with that, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I think sports is such a great transition to the Catholic life because I think of it like, like imagine on a football team, like someday when you've got some son who's like, you know, totally weak and <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, he's like, hey, FB, my dad's a total like chump. Can you help me learn how to play football? Yeah. I'd be like, sure, I'll help you. you know, and then can we read Baltazar? Yeah, right. <laughs> But with your son, right? Like, would you rather have your son be have an easy life or would you rather have him be tough? Totally. Right? Yeah. And if he's on a football team and he's like, he comes home and he's like, dad, gosh, it was hard today. I got I got hit pretty hard like in drills. Yeah. And I want to quit. And I want to quit. You would be like, like no parent wants their kid to suffer. But a good parent, what they want is they don't want their kid to have an easy life. They want them to be strong. And to say, I know that was hard today, but son, I, I'm, I believe in you and I'm going to be there with you and I'm going to support you. And if that kid gets stronger and stronger and has a mental toughness, that's what you want for your son. Totally. And that's, and I do think that's, that's what purgatory is about. Purgatory is about happiness is not about an easy life, which all of us are tempted to kind of think. That's right. And it's about the nice house and the easy life and whatever else. But really what life is about is about who you are and happiness is about your character and heaven has to bring these things together. 
God's love, again, his mercy endures forever. He goes first. One last point I'll make, and then I'll, I've talked way too much this podcast, as always. Uh, but it hopefully, you know, if, if you listen to this podcast a double time, that means you didn't get as much time off of purgatory. <laughs> totally. But um, Cardinal Ratzinger, also known as Pope Benedict Sixteenth, he has this brilliant kind of his speculation about purgatory is he says he speculates that hell, heaven, and purgatory are actually all the same thing. Oh. And what he says, and I think this is brilliant. I love this. He says, he, he, and he doesn't say, I know this. He's just speculating. But he says, we're told all over the Bible that God is a, is fire. He's a consuming fire. And what he says is he says, what if after death all of us are in some sense placed in God's presence? And those who have made themselves wicked experience God's presence as hell. Oh, wow. Those who are not yet purified experience his presence as painful but healing. And those who have gone through that purification experience God's presence as pure eternal joy. Oh, that's <laughs> right. deep. Isn't that deep? Yeah, that's awesome. But I love that. And that's it, it kind of gets to the point of like, it's not this external, like, you broke five rules. You will be in timeout for a million years. You know, it's not about that. It's about what kind of person are you? And uh, are you the type of person who can love? And if you've, if you enter God's presence and you're not there yet, which probably none of us are, you can be purified. And then when you are purified, it will be an experience of pure bliss. Father Brian's infamous mic drop. Mic drop. (laughs) There it is. Well, it's going to be late, but uh, today, happy birthday, Ed. Oh, my gosh. My dad, 70th birthday today. There it is. My dad is, not to, to quote Chris Tomlin, he is a good father. Yes. Right? And uh, dad, love you. Uh, diehard buff fan, Sco Buffs. That's right, Sco Buffs. we got to go to a game once it's back. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get back up there to Folsom Field. But love you, dad. You've been a great father for me for the last 40 years. And uh, our whole family loves you. And uh, yeah, grateful to God for you. Amen. My dad, one last thing. I say that like eight times. My dad goes by Groucho to the grandkids. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's awesome because it's so funny. The, um, when they asked my brother, Sean, when they had their kids, they're like, dad, what do you want the, you know, kids to call you? You know, do you want to be granddad or grandpa or like, you know, people, people, some people call him like pops. I think yeah. in like, he was like, I don't want to be old. I want to be a grandpa. And so this is from like the Marx brothers. There's like Groucho Marx, which I never saw the Marx brothers, but he said, so my, my nieces and nephews know my dad as Groucho. That's the best. And I always laugh like them going to school, probably thinking that's like totally normal. <laughs> and like, yeah, so my Groucho was over there today. Was you, do you have a Groucho? And the kids are probably kind of like, what? what? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Oh, it's awesome. Yes. Happy birthday, Ed. And uh, yeah, again, thank you guys all for the, again, just so much amazing feedback, phone calls, uh, emails, all of it has been just awesome. Um, And we may have something coming down the line with uh, Seek 2021. That's right. Stay tuned on to that. Seek 2021. We'll have some information with that. Focus. Uh, Focus for the win. Obviously doing some amazing things. So uh, stay tuned. And again, let us know if there's any uh, anything you want us to talk about. All right, everybody. God bless. Peace.